With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. This spring practice, they're always very important. They're always very big. They're always uh, vital parts of the development of a team. But this this. This is kind of carries a little bit more of a some juice here for sure. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun to see this thing take shape. You know, it's guys like myself and other who, others who have played, you know, a significant amount of games um, in a Nebraska uniform. It's our job to kind of teach the younger guys, you know, how it needs to be done and you know what it takes to win games, especially when you're deep in the season battling good teams. So um, you know, I like that responsibility. You know, I, I'm excited about it. Every spring. Since I've been here, has been different, you know. But, you know, there's a lot of open spots, change in the defense. I've seen a lot of change since I've been here, you know, from the coaching staff to the offensive schemes. So, I mean, you just, you know, take it, just roll with the punches as best you can. I didn't do any of this, what we're doing, to have a setback. I'm doing it, hopefully, to get better. And that's the stage here for another edition of the Husker Online Show as spring practice officially here in Nebraska opens up Saturday at 11 a.m., Open to the media. Yay. We get to watch, um, what is it, five spring practices. Robin and Nate uh, Klaus. is Robin Washington and Nate Klaus here. Join us here as, as we kick off uh, this uh, special edition of the Husker Online Show. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, it seems like every Saturday practice and then the Thursday before spring break is, are going to be open. So uh, lots of opportunity to see some, uh, hopefully, some scrimmage situations and uh, try and get a finger on what exactly is going to happen in 2017. Yeah, we get uh, four Saturdays, one Thursday, one Tuesday, uh, and then the red-white game. So technically, seven of the 15, um, when you count the red-white game, they practice on five Saturdays when you count the red-white game. And uh, we get to see all five of those Saturday workouts. So I'm not going to complain one bit because I talk to a lot of guys around the country. They don't get near that access. And, and we get to see the scrimmages on Saturdays. And that's really where the money's made. Um, and, that you know, on our site, Husker Online, and uh, the observations that we provide on those Saturday scrimmages um, are probably the most popular feature that we can give you throughout the spring. So we're looking forward to that. And you heard Mike Riley um, kind of discuss just the magnitude of this spring, and that was Drew Brown, the kicker senior, and then uh, Luke McNitt, the senior fullback slash tight end, chiming in on uh, kind of what this spring is all about. And I thought it was interesting, Nate. Mike Riley said, I didn't make these changes with Bob Diaco and some of the big things they've done this offseason to rebuild. I made them to win now. Yeah, this isn't a move the to buy time necessarily. This is a move to win football games. I mean, and he made it pretty clear that that's that that was the motive. It, it wasn't to to kind of start from scratch and to to buy a little bit of time by making changes on the staff. I, I think um, that he tried to put that narrative to rest yesterday, and uh, he's he's excited to get going. You could tell that he's pretty excited, about, especially about the defense and the new look there, and and the work that has has kind of been put in over the the winter. 
and uh, how things are going with uh, within the staff. Guys are excited about all the changes, so uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it's, it certainly will be fun, and I thought that was a great message for Mike Riley to set. You know, from the very first, even before the very first practice of spring, is that this isn't going to be something where uh, you know we want uh, you know some excuses to to be already put into play before we get this thing started. Uh, they expect uh, this thing to be hitting on all cylinders by the time the first game rolls around, and um, there will be a lot of work to be done over the next couple months here. Um, you know, just because you are going through some massive overhauls on both sides of the ball, but. Uh, I think the staff is well aware that time is not necessarily on their side, and they're in a position where they need to start showing results in a hurry. And so, I mean, they, they, they know that they don't have the luxury uh, of, you know, having, you know, a season or two to get this thing going, that the time is now just to start winning and competing for Big Ten championships. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we get you ready for the start of spring practice. Nebraska will practice six times before spring break. Um, that's over a two-week period, um, starting on a Saturday, ending on Thursday, March 16th. Um, then they'll take uh, you know a, a sizable break from the 16th to the 28th uh, before they come back on that Tuesday. Um, and then they'll have um, those final eight practices before the red-white game being number 15. So they've really expanded this out. I think the NCAA lets you have a, a six-week window. Um, and, and by going to the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday format, um, which I believe was a y- last year uh, when they started that, it, it really maximizes your, your the value of your days. I always felt like when they would go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, especially that Friday practice was kind of a throwaway day um, because you would typically lighten the load and, and, and you wouldn't want to overwork your team. So um, I think they've got a good handle on the format um, of what they're doing um, with this schedule. But um, some of the big storylines, we're going to hit on these later in the show. The quarterback situation, Mike Riley, uh, no surprise, playing this right down the middle. Uh, Patrick O'Brien, Tanner Lee will split all the reps. Um, they might even flip a coin on who takes that first rep um, to start Saturday's practice. And, and that that's probably um, the, the way they want to handle it. Um, then on defense, you know, they ran down the entire kind of too deep depth chart. And we'll get into that uh, here later in the show. But some interesting moves, um, Robin, we knew um, with this move to the three, four, you were going to kind of see a puzzle put together with defensive ends and inside linebackers and D tackles uh, where guys would kind of fit in this new scheme. Yeah, and I thought some of the more intriguing uh, announcements on that two-date came in the front seven, as we expected. Uh, you know, there were a couple shakeups, um, especially, you know, between guys that, um, you know, at the defensive end slash linebacker uh, spot that uh, definitely caught some attention um, when Mike Riley announced those. And I guess first and foremost, um, you know, uh, on the defensive line, um, the fact that, you know, Carlos Davis is going to be one of those short side defensive ends. Um, you know, the, the one thing that was interesting is Mike Riley made sure to stress the difference between the field uh, ends and outside linebackers, and then the short side. And let, I mean, most people, let's explain what yeah. field. So if you're the field guy, that is the, the side with more area. Yes, like, it's it's for your speed rushers, your freedom. That's where freedom is going to play. He's going to be the, the number one. So if the ball is on one hash mark, you will be on the side that has more area to cover. Correct. Basically, just think of short side to strong side. I mean, I think most people can get that. And then uh, your your field is going to be where you get your edge rushers, your pass rushers, and um, you know try and get some single block situations. And then the boundary is is the, is the shorter side where there's less area to cover. Right. 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 So usually your better player is on the field, whether yeah, it's corner, defensive end, etc. Just more space to account for. 
So yeah, they they say that, and I think you expect everybody to know that, but it, it's kind of a a football term that not everybody knows. You, you got to get a little studying on that and what it means. But um, anything surprised you, Nate, um, on that defense? Well, I think the the first thing that really stood out to me was Mick Stoltenberg being the nose. You know, there was a lot of talk heading in, um, or when the when the change of the defense was announced. You know, is Mick Stoltenberg too tall to be a nose tackle in, in the three in the three four? And obviously, they don't. He's three ten now, right? Yeah, and he's three ten now, and he 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 looked like uh, he looked like a very good three ten. He he's not sloppy. He said he's still trying to add. Uh, some more weight heading into the fall too, so it'll be interesting to see exactly how he looks and moves at that weight. But um, just in person, standing up there at the podium, uh, he looked like he's put together pretty darn well. But uh, I think that was you know one of the big things that stood out to me is okay, or one question that was answered is okay, Mick Stoltenberg can be a nose tackle in this defense. Um, you know, he had Alex Davis move from defensive end, uh, you know, back to outside linebacker, that boundary outside linebacker. Uh, one move that that was announced or that Riley talked about was Colin Miller, the defensive end, uh, last year being moved into inside linebacker, although he, it sounds like he's not going to be able to practice this spring due to a toe injury. I that thought, one caught me by – and Ben Still even, I, I yeah, thought, yeah. would grow into more of that defensive end, but we're learning that defensive end spot is more a D-tackle. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. it, you've got to be – pretty dang close to that 280-ish range mm-hmm. to play that DN spot. Yeah, so, uh, you know, with Ben Stilley's, you know, with his uh, with his, his measurables and athleticism now, he's, he's going to be, you know, a two-point player, be out there as an outside linebacker. All right, well, we have a full show on tap here. Um, we're not going to have a mailbag this week because there's so much to talk about with uh, spring practice. So we, we're going to have an offensive breakdown of what we learned here going into Saturday's practice, and we'll have a defensive breakdown as well. Uh, we'll get Robin Washett's thoughts on Husker basketball, and then uh, we'll close out with the recruiting as Nebraska will have um, you know, their first junior day. Nothing crazy to, to you know as far as visitors on campus, but uh, we will get Nate Klaus's thoughts on the state of some new offers. Nebraska offered the nation's number one ranked kicker this week, among other new offers made. So Lots to talk about here in this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. But when we come back, we will talk quarterbacks and give our thoughts on Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. But we're going to try to get Tanner and Patrick uh, even turns. It will probably, Danny and I were talking the other day about flipping a coin for the first snap. I mean, they're both great. I mean, they're both good at what they do. They're kind of similar. Uh, just one throws a little bit quicker. One, but, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, they both get the job done. So, I mean, it doesn't matter as long as they throw the ball. Tanner Lee is a bonus for us because he's been in games. There's nothing for a quarterback. It's nothing for a football player, but particularly a quarterback. There's nothing like being in a game. So the, he's not going to blink. He's not. He, this guy is poised. He's smart. Uh, I'm excited about him. Patrick is a young talent. Patrick was many times equally productive to Tanner in those Sunday scrimmages. So I think you know that we have two guys that can be productive players that now will take a step up in what we're doing, you know, the inventory and what we do and how you have to play, you know, as we get ready for the season is a lot different than playing on Sunday scrimmages with uh, the young guys. But I think that the chance for them to do that will make them more comfortable starting on Saturday. 
And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was head coach Mike Riley and wide receiver DeMornay Pearson. Now just kind of handicapping this early quarterback battle with Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien. And, you know, the not a surprise, uh, but they're going to play this thing right down the middle. They're not going to tip their hand on what direction they're going to go. Um, even though the hand has already, in my opinion, been tipped uh, pretty well, that <laughs> Tanner Lee is has um, <laughs> got the advantage. But, you know, I, I think it's only right that you build this thing up, you create competition, because let's face it, guys, Nebraska really hasn't had a true QB battle. And I don't really count that Taylor Martinez, Zach Lee, Cody Green one, because I feel like Bo Pelini already had moved on from Zach Lee and and he wasn't going to be the guy in 2010. They kind of knew that and um, they they wanted Martinez to be the guy. I, I think the Joe Gann, Sam Keller battle was somewhat of a battle, but I think everybody knew Keller was going to be the guy. I mean, you almost got to go back to Newcomb Crouch, mm-hmm. 98, 99, um, when those two guys had kind of a two-year back and forth battle. Um, so the competition should be good. Um, Patrick O'Brien, I've seen him make some tweets about the competition begins now. Uh, but you know that that's going to be really. Um, there's a lot to talk about, but that's going to be to me the number one story far and away this spring. Yeah, far and away. And like you mentioned, this was the right move for a few different reasons. For one, obviously, competition makes everybody better, and the last thing you want to do is just eliminate that right out of the gate. So uh, basically, making this a day-to-day coin flip of who your first quarterback out there with the first-team offense is going to be. Uh, that, that's going to keep guys, you know, going, you know, full bore, uh, you know, having to bring it every single day, and that, as a result, is going to make everyone better because of it. Two, uh, you avoid any political drama uh, with, you know, potentially upsetting, you know, a guy that uh, isn't the number one. Uh, a la Patrick Witt and Zach Lee. Exactly. When Patrick gone. Witt didn't get the number one rep, and he basically left town. Packed and Packed his bags and went home. So, yes, I mean, you avoid that, uh, at least, you know, through spring, uh, maybe even into fall camp, depending on how long this takes. And, um, you know, I, I just think that, you know, you, this this makes a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and, you know, the, the fact that um, Mike Riley made it clear they're in no hurry to make a decision here. You know, he said they're going to do it later rather than sooner. And uh, even referenced, you know, a few years ago, back in 2013 at Oregon State, um, when Sean Mannion, who, you know, ended up being a record-setting Pac-12 quarterback, uh, was battling out for, with Cody. Vaz for the starting job, and they waited all the way up until the week before the first game that season before officially announcing Mannion as the starter. So uh, we'll see if it goes that long this time around. But I mean, there's clearly some precedent that um, you know Riley and Langsdorf are going to do their due diligence uh, to make sure that they have you know a clear cut number one uh, before they make it public. Well, this is where I love Mike Riley's experience level at, at Nebraska because he's handled things like this before, uh, and really with every competition since he's been the head coach at Nebraska, I think he's been pretty even-handed and fair about uh, letting guys battle it out and letting those guys put it on film. Um, that way there is no political fallout in the locker room or anything like that because um, you know they, they've allowed these guys to, to put it all on film. So when, when a guy is named a starter or, or somebody is moved down or up on the depth chart, they can point to the film and say, okay, this is why we're, we're making this move uh, instead of you know, really ruffling some feathers and um, the point of him kind of saying we want a decision later rather than sooner I think is another smart move because you don't want anyone packing their bags and, and leaving anybody town. having time to kind of 
figure out a plan B. Exactly. Yeah. You don't you don't want someone focusing on okay, what's my next move uh, beyond Nebraska right now? You want them focused in on um, me winning this job and and how this competition is going and what I need to do to to put myself into that starting role. So I just I, this is a, a one of those points in time where you you got to be happy that you have an experienced head coach running the show. Yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, and you talked about guys leaving other places. I mean, South Carolina had a guy leave already this week at quarterback. So it's a highly sensitive position. There's a lot of ego. Um, guys come in wanting to be the man, and, and O'Brien was originally the first Riley uh, recruit. But, you know, Jebbia, guys, I'm excited about mm-hmm. Tristan Jebbia. I've just heard so many promising things about him from behind the scenes. Everybody has said the same thing. He's a little guy, needs to gain weight. But, man, the arm talent is there. And I think when you just look at just pure upside arm talent, Nate, and you've seen him more than anybody in Nebraska, um, you know he's got a real shot to, to to make some noise this spring as well. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, the, the, it's it's really impressive the arm talent there that it's there given his his size and because he is kind of slight right now. He's he's kind of has a slender build, and and he, I know he's listed at 6'3", 180 pounds or whatever it is, but you know it's probably closer to 170 pounds soaking wet. So uh, he definitely has some growing to do. Some uh, some maturing physically to do in, in the weight room and everything but um, given his arm strength and arm overall arm talent right there just with his uh, you know physical makeup at this point in time is impressive and that's probably only only going to get better and then you have to love the makeup the, all the intangibles that, that uh, Tristan Jebbia has he's a very smart kid uh, he's a leader he's he's you know as far as being polished you know this isn't a kid that Danny Linksdorf is going to have to spend a lot of time teaching mechanics to or teaching you know him how to how to read defenses or or break things down because he's worked on all that stuff uh, so much heading into Nebraska so um, and he's going to get a shot to kind of show what, what he could do as well you're listening to the Husker Online Show Sean Callahan Robin Washington and A. Klaus some other storylines Robin out of the offense yesterday uh, Mike Riley said that uh, David Neville will, will be the number one right tackle, but obviously Cole Conrad right there. Uh, Luke McNitt said he will also play some tight end and fullback, and, and I, I kind of saw that coming just based on the limited ability that they have at tight end. He's played tight end. Arguably, he would have been number one over um, some of the guys there right now because he was already playing at that position before. So uh, some other interesting things uh, running back-wise, um, you know, that's wide open with those guys, but – um, Keith Williams, his situation, they're playing that by ear as far as his house arrest deal. Um, you know, what, what what will he be allowed to do? So anything jump out from some of those other storylines that came out besides the quarterbacks on offense? Yeah, I mean, the right tackle is certainly something to watch uh, because while Riley did say David Neville was going to be, you know, the number one on day one, uh, Cole Conrad's played a lot of football and, you know, for the most part did okay last year, uh, kind of being thrust into the starting lineup due to injury last year. So uh, if if David, you know, continues to struggle, uh, which he has, I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it, uh, he's going to have a quick hook I think uh, so uh, they're going to get a pretty even reps this spring and probably into fall camp and um, that's going to be a very fluid situation uh, there on the right side and yeah at the tight end I mean given the inexperience there um, uh, Luke McNitt makes perfect sense I mean he's a good football player that this coaching staff loves I mean he's one of their best special teams players so you got to find ways to get him on the field and then you add in the fact that Connor Ketter uh, who is probably projected as the number two tight end just off the pure tight end depth chart uh, he's going to be out uh, with a back issue um, we'll, we'll see if he's even going to be ready you know for the start of fall camp that's not good anytime yeah. you have a back injury it's yeah not good. so that, that that's going to be something worth watching and then with 
with uh, Keith Williams. You know, when Mike Riley made those comments, that was before the Lancaster County judge made the official announcement that he will have uh, house arrest to basically serve his 30-day jail term, um, along with a $1,000 fine, uh, three years of probation. But with that, he will be allowed to go uh, leave his home for work educational and medicinal purposes, which uh, leads you to believe he will be able to attend uh, every single practice this spring. So, yeah, that worked out for the best for Nebraska. Obviously a bad situation that the book will finally be closing on. So when we come back, we're going to shift over to defense. Bob Diaco, Bob Elliott, lots of new changes on this defense moving into the 3-4. Lots of new positions for players. We're going to go through all that next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. My, my take on Bob is I, I, I enjoy a, a lot being around him. He's got a great enthusiasm for his job, uh, for football. He, he's a pretty contagious guy listening to talk about football and be a teacher. I, I, I really enjoy that part of it. He's just a really fired up guy. I'm sure you guys can kind of tell when you, when you do press conferences and stuff with him, but uh, he's just uh, kind of preaches the whole effort is the ultimate eraser thing. If you screw something up, if your assignment isn't 100% correct, if you throw in some real real fired up effort and, and fly to the ball and, and kind of do the right thing there, that can definitely help you out and definitely set you apart from other teams. So that's one thing. Uh, he's preached a few things to us, but that's one thing that's definitely stuck out to me more than the others. Welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. The Bob Diaco era on defense will officially begin on Saturday as Nebraska's new defensive coordinator uh, will have his first on-field practice with the Huskers here as they begin spring ball. Uh, welcome back here to the show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. That's head coach Mike Riley just giving some initial impressions of his thoughts with Bob Diaco. Uh, coach Riley also gave some really glowing remarks about Bob Elliott, uh, the safeties coach hire, called him a real gem uh, to bring a guy in with that experience. But uh, Mick Stoltenberg uh, mentioning the effort level and, and kind of how much um, that's what he's been preaching. So um, really, uh, I thought the most interesting thing, though, as we set the stage for spring, uh, were some of the moves that were made on defense. You heard Mick Stoltenberg uh, as the nose, uh, the Davis brothers, um, one of them will be a nose, and Khalil Carlos will be that short side defensive end, and then Freedom Malcolm Maladun will be the um, the uh, the field uh, defensive end. So uh, they've kind of laid that down, but lots of movement. I was a little surprised, Robin Cedric King um, was going to be that outside linebacker. I, I kind of just thought he grow was more into that role of a, a defensive end, but they made some very interesting personnel moves with some of these guys. Yeah, with King, it may just be a numbers issue. Um, I mean, because they are they are pretty thin at defensive end, and so, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Maybe he's, he's probably got to slim down a little bit um, to really fit that boundary mold. Um, I think Alex Davis is just a, a perfect fit uh, for that, and I'm really excited to see uh, kind of him unleash on that, that pass rushing um, ability on that, that outside boundary spot. So uh, that was definitely... Uh, you know some some intriguing stuff, but then um, as Nate touched on in the opening segment, you know some of the guys that are you know, being broken up between you know uh, the inside linebacker uh, spots. Um, you know it, it's going to be interesting to see um, you know how how some of those those linebacker spots shake out. You know just because you know you have okay, so your field outside linebackers are Marcus Newby, Luke, Luke Gifford, your boundary are you know Davis, Quayshon Alexander, Cedric King, and, and Ben Stilley. Inside on the weak side, you have Dedrick Young, Muhammad Barry, Greg Simmons. 
inside on the strong side, you have Chris Webber, Pernell Jefferson, and Avery Roberts. That's a ton of talent and a lot of young uh, athletic players uh, that's going to create some serious competition over the course of this offseason. So, I mean, while that's the two deep right now, I would expect some serious shakeups by the time they, you know September rolls around. Yeah, I don't really put a ton of stock into the the quote-unquote depth chart that Mike Riley kind of went through. I mean, there's going to be – things are going to change daily, in my opinion, throughout the spring. And, and, and this is – I think this is a depth chart put together based off of what Bob Diaco has seen on film and what he's seen in, in a lot of the winter conditioning workouts so far. And and once they finally get into the actual don't football you think part, Devan, Don't you think Devaney has chimed in a lot on guys, oh, yeah. guys well, too? Yeah, he's, he's – there's no question he's helped with giving his opinion on on the personnel um you know and strengths and weaknesses on all these guys from what he's seen and everything and I'm sure he sat in all those meetings and everything as well but I feel like once they get into the actual football part of this uh defense and installing it on the field and and watching guys go through um go through practice go through the drills and and, and actually scrimmage one another there's going to be a lot of change on this depth chart so uh, yeah, I would caution people not to look at this or or listen to this as kind of the holy grail of of what the what how things are set throughout the the whole spring. I think there's going to be a lot of movement. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as uh, we're talking defensive storylines here um, as we get you ready for spring. And yeah, you mentioned I, th- I thought Alex Davis might be the real winner of this move uh, to the three four as. Um, he essentially moves into um, a starting role, and you know I like his chances to win that job. I mean, I think he fits athletically what they want as that outside linebacker. I also think Chris Weber is going to be a, a big winner in this new defensive scheme as that strong side inside linebacker. Um, he could really be somebody that gets over 100 tackles, I think, in that role um, if he starts and, and is that guy uh, Nebraska needs going forward, Robin. Yeah, uh, and then again, I mean, just the depth that they have at that position. I mean, they can do a lot of different things uh, with that group of players. And, you know, I think that you have guys like Weber, um, you know, maybe even Dedrick Young um, that are probably going to be clear front runners in there, but I think that they have the flexibility to mix and match a lot of different guys, depending on personnel. I think Muhammad Barry uh, could be a real intriguing uh, piece to all that. So uh, that's going to be a fun position to watch uh, over the course of this off season. But um, I think maybe one of the more intriguing position battles, uh, as far as, you know, the groups of the defense that we're going to see is in the back end at secondary. And, uh, you know, obviously there was a couple names left off that too deep that, that shook some things up. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, I want to ask Nate on yeah, on definitely. on that because you get this notion um, as we segue into secondary, that especially on our website, there's an obsession with the four star guys. I mean, the, the fans want the four star guys to beat out the three star guys, and you had Lamar Jackson, um, Avery Anderson, Eric Lee, all four star recruits, Joshua Kalu, and then Chris Jones, three stars. Um, you know, that are currently starters. I, I feel like there's a notion of people that wanted Lamar Jackson to be the starter over Joshua Kalu. And I, I don't I don't get it. I, I know that it was, it's all going to play out with this new staff. But what's your thoughts on just kind of the pre-depth chart? Anything surprise you about that secondary depth chart, Nate? Well, first and foremost, there's a lot of talent back there. So, um, and I think that's something you have to keep in mind and, and something that has prevented Lamar Jackson from stepping in day one and being the starters. You know what? Joshua and Kalu and Chris Jones are pretty good football players. They're, 
Um, you know, they're not the the best, the the best corners that Nebraska has ever had, but you, they're pretty darn good. And for a true freshman to come in and unseat those guys, as we watched last year, is is a little bit more difficult uh, than it than it would initially sound. And and for guys like Eric Lee and Avery Anderson, you know, I. That's part of the reason why I said don't put a ton of stock into this quote-unquote depth chart because I feel like those guys probably aren't um, – you know they probably deserve to be listed. I don't know why they weren't. I think I it could have been an oversight. I could, really. It I could mean, have been an oversight. It could be a motivation thing. I, I have no idea. But um, I, I do feel like the the fact that there's a, cu- a couple new eyeballs in there in that in that back end with Dante Williams and with Bob Elliott, that's probably going to play to their um, to their be- benefit. I feel like uh, as they go through spring, as long as they attack things the right way and and aren't uh, you know I guess. Put really put off by this oversight or whatever it was and why they weren't listed there, but um, but they're still young. They're still young players. I know this is going to be their what their third spring, uh, so they do have some experience in that regard. But uh, they're still sophomores right now, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with these guys. I, I'm by no means ready to to write them off necessarily. And Robin, it was interesting that Kyron Williams and Aaron Williams are on one side together. Um, arguably the two most experienced safeties, but they're going to be on the same side. And then Antonio Reed and Jojo Doman will be on the other, and it kind of tells you what they think of these guys. And I'm calling my shot now. I think Doman could be a fast riser in this defense. There's an old theory. Coaches like guys that resemble them. I could see a Diaco and Elliott really liking a Jojo Doman. Um, I mean, looks like a Bob Diaco type guy, and and you, you can just sense that um, he could be somebody with his intelligence level, his playmaking ability, um, that he could really rise fast in this new scheme. Well, especially, I mean, Antonio Reed hasn't necessarily done anything to, you know, stake his claim for that starting job. So, I mean, that that's going to be a fairly even competition from day one. And, you know, like you said, with JoJo's ability and his natural just football instincts, uh, I think he, he could really catch on uh, with what, you know, these new defensive coaches are trying to teach. And, I mean, he's a tr- guy who played right away as a true freshman. I mean, he forced his way into the mix. With a four, um, nice forced fumble in the bowl game, too. Yeah, I mean, so he, he's a guy that's played some football at this level and I think that that is going to be huge for his confidence and again when you basically have a, a, a coin flip situation here at strong safety too uh, that would certainly be something that uh, would be worth keeping an eye on entering fall camp all right when we come back we're going to shift over to basketball as we're reaching the end here of this 2017 season for Nebraska um, as they are wrapping up Big Ten play getting ready um, for the Big Ten Conference Tournament. We'll get Robin Washett's thoughts on where things are at next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Kind of a big picture question. Minnesota, uh, obviously with that turnaround, they got a top 20 RPI this year. Do you see... Looking forward, do you see the ability of this group of guys to maybe turn into that next year? Yeah, I don't think there's any question that can happen. You know that uh, that a similar uh, a mo- they would be a great model for us to follow, and um, and they've done a really good job. They've scheduled appropriately, and uh, and they've won big games, and they've won steadily, and they've been very good at home too. Uh, the league can get anybody anywhere, but uh, I think that's a I think that's a plausible situation. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was Nebraska basketball head coach Tim Miles um, kind of comparing and contrasting their season to maybe Minnesota a year ago. Minnesota was um, really at the bottom of the Big Ten with Rutgers, and now they are a tournament team uh, just after one year. And I think when people think optimistically the glass half-full guy of Nebraska basketball, 
Um, they, they think that, you know what, Nebraska is going through some growing pains. They only lose Ty Webster, but next year's the year. But <laughs> there's a theory out there, too. I mean, Nebraska basketball fans are like Cubs fans. They say next year's the year every year. Um, and, you know, it's just been one of those rides. But there is really, Robin, a reason to think that could happen next year. Well, you look at Minnesota last season. They were 8-23 and overall. They did not win a single road game. They were 2-16 and in Big Ten play. And uh, Richard Pitino was basically about to be shown the door uh, after a very disappointing season following. They won the NIT the year before that. So uh, that was a huge, 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 huge step back and one of the worst seasons in recent Minnesota basketball history. Now look at them. They've you know won you know seven straight games uh, going into their game against Nebraska, and then they uh, uh, are basically locked for the NCAA tournament. And uh, it's just been a complete 180 with their fortunes, you know, from one season to the next. And uh, that's a huge glimmer of hope for a program like Nebraska. Clearly, this season has not been what anyone wanted, especially with you know some of the flashes of potential we saw that, that this, this team had. Um, but you, you look at, you know, that, that's the biggest argument, you know, for optimism is you, you look what's coming back next year and the experience that um, a lot of young players are gaining this year that uh, a potential uh, reversal of fortunes like what Minnesota had uh, from last year to this year uh, could potentially be in the cards for Nebraska. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as we're talking Nebraska basketball. And um, speaking of what's next, I mean, Nebraska wrapping up Big Ten play here. Um, they'll have a home game um, on Sunday. Um, it's another Sunday night special. I mean, let's just define Nebraska basketball as Thirsty Thursday and Sunday night hoops because that's what it's been all year. Uh, that's a whole other show for a whole other <laughs> offseason. But, man, I mean, I'm tired of going to Sunday night games. Yes. Uh, just give me, some day ba- give me some day basketball for once. But um, after that, you know, Nebraska, Robin, still trying to avoid that that double, you know, that bunny bracket game that they they the, the they don't want the Wednesday game. Um, yeah, yeah. And they've got they've got to win at least one to one get out more. of at least would one get them in? One would be, put them at the ten seed. Uh, and if somehow they were to get two, then uh, obviously you're looking at as maybe potentially as high as the the eight or maybe I think seven was in the picture, but I don't know with the previous results. I think eight is realistic though. So I mean, uh, anywhere from eight to 10, I think is probably the, the plausible uh, scenario if they're to at least get one more win. And the scary thing is Michigan's going to come in here Sunday night, very desperate. Yes. The way they lost to Northwestern. I mean, that was an unbelievable finish to that game uh, on Wednesday night. Um, you know, a, a Hail Mary pass that traveled what 93 feet in the air and the guy caught it under the hoop. Derek Pardon, our, our good buddy that yeah. <laughs> has been the Husker killer, uh, catches that ball, puts it in. Was it 1.7 on the clock? Yeah. I mean, that, how do you get that pass off? I and mean, that was unbelievable. It was incredible. And it was funny. Uh, I think there was a, a thing on Twitter I saw. You know, obviously, uh, Chris Collins is the son of Doug Collins, the former you know famous NBA coach who played on the U.S. national team that lost a game. I can't. Remember, I think it was to the to, Russians to Russia on a like almost the exact same play, and they put them side by side together, and uh, basically know, just kind of one of those odd coincidences. But yeah, I mean. That's another example. I mean, look at Northwestern. They're about to make their first ever NCAA tournament appearance. And, you know, it, it just gives you hope that uh, as bad and as painful as things have been for Nebraska, that, you know, that there's still the chance that, you know, that a season like that is still in the cards here and relatively soon, maybe even next season. As you start to look ahead, Robin, um, postseason, I mean, it, it's kind of like a little punchline uh, postseason. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's going to a bowl game with a losing record in football. 
but Nebraska is exploring postseason options, most notably the CBI. Um, you know, last year, the Big Ten as a whole kind of made a conference decision. Nobody in the league played the CBI. CIT is definitely not um, a, a tournament Big Ten teams take part in. But um, Purdue did play in this a couple of years ago. Teams like Pittsburgh have played in it. Um, Nebraska exploring the CBI, and, and they sent out notices to season ticket holders if you wanted to uh, potentially uh, reserve uh, that you'd want to attend. Yeah, and it's one of those things that you know I think – from you know the outside, you kind of scoff at. Um, and is Nebraska willing to lower itself to play in what is kind of presu- or assumed to be a third-tier tournament? But I think there's a lot of benefit uh, to do that. You're, I mean, you're, the whole thing about this team is that they're a young team that um, is trying to grow and what better opportunity uh than to give them the, the taste of you know true postseason play you know where it's winner go home uh and the best of three finals still right yeah i think so and so you know the i think just from an experience factor uh that would be absolutely huge especially what you're trying to build for next season and here's another important part they're about as healthy as they're going to get i mean ty webster's pretty beat up just uh from the workload he's had to play but overall i mean guys are are a lot healthier than they have been in previous seasons and generally Tim Miles's philosophy is he lets his seniors kind of make the final call if, if everybody's the players are on board and the seniors are on board to keep playing then he'll, he's he's all for it um, and in previous years you know guys like you know Siobhan Shields and before that Dylan Talley Brandon Ubell they had opportunities to play in a tournament like the CBI and they chose not to just because you know they were worn down and just didn't have any more gas left in the tank but um, uh, knowing Ty I mean as beat up he is uh, I think he's not ready to have this thing come to an end just yet so um, if that, as long as that's the case I think Nebraska will legitimately explore it and now the argument is well you know I mean from the, the stigma standpoint well um, Penn State's done it Purdue's done it Oregon's done it Creighton's done it Texas has done it Stanford Virginia Texas A&M TCU uh, the list I, go- I felt like last year though was a huge step back for the it CBI was. I mean their best teams Robin last year were Nevada won it Ohio Duquesne UNO Nebraska Omaha they don't like to be called UNO anymore they like to be called Omaha Seattle Eastern Washington Pepperdine I mean this this was not um exactly a high profile <laughs> group of teams um so it, it it the Vegas 16 we joked would have been awesome but uh, the, blundered the, that the timing of that deal they they wait um, until like that little dead period between yeah. the final four and the uh, elite eight games right yeah it's it was a mess from they the needed beginning. to play it right away no one's going to want to keep their players practicing for three weeks without a game. Exactly. And then you do it all like back to back to back to back, and there's no rest. So if you want to win the whole thing. I it's mean, like that, a high school state tournament. Yeah, almost. it's like another conference tournament, really. Uh, so, I mean, this, that thing was a, a disaster. It had a lot of potential. Maybe it still can be that. They know. needed the TV partner, and CBS Sports is their TV partner. Unfortunately, CBS also airs the Final Four and the other games, so they, they don't want to go head-to-head. And, you know, that's what the NIT runs into that problem. They always have to build those NIT games on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then they even play that like Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Central Time game just so they don't conflict with the NCAA tournament games. And I think when you have a TV partner for these tournaments, that's what that's the problem these tournaments run into. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so you know, hopefully they can find a tournament like that that is geared towards high major programs that don't make the NCAA tournament or NIT, uh, just because I think there'd be a lot of interest in that, uh, especially if you get you know enough you know relatively big name schools to to enter it i mean then you you get rid of that stigma of having to play hofstra or radford or Ryder, you know is any of those types of teams and so 
Uh, unfortunately, they're, they're, that's not there. Uh, so I think your next best option, uh, assuming an NIT bid slips through the, the cracks here, would be the CBI. And the fact that Tim Miles hasn't ruled it out, the fact that Nebraska is issuing you know potential uh, postseason ticket packages for the CBI. And they did this last year as well. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, I, I think that that is certainly within the realm of possibility. But what it's going to come down to is ultimately the players. Uh, I think that that is you know, seriously how uh, Nebraska is going to go through it. And if Ty Webster... And, you know, he, he wants to play and the rest of the guys, you know, feel healthy enough to do it. Uh, the, the CBI is definitely uh, an option uh, for postseason play. Well, Nebraska will have senior day Sunday. It's a seven o'clock game. Um, their final home game here before the Big Ten tournament where the Huskers will play either Wednesday or Thursday, depending on how those results go. But uh, nonetheless, it's been an up and down ride that will come to an end here in the regular season on Sunday. When we come back, we'll put a close here to the Husker Online Show. Uh, Nebraska will have a junior day Saturday. We'll get Nate Klaus's thoughts on that next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We haven't quite defined all that part of it yet. And we might be able to just move some people in-house to give them this emphasis rather than a little less of this, a little more of that, that kind of thinking. So that's in the works. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, as you just heard Mike Riley kind of discussing the direction of this new social media position they want to bring in. And uh, as we bring Nate Klaus in to discuss recruiting, it has been interesting um, just the transition they've been going through in the recruiting department. And uh, you and I have talked about this off air, but the loss of Ryan Gunderson has been big. I, I think um, he was so in- integral on all of this that he could do the evaluations and the social side of it. And um, I think they've realized they, they have a hole maybe on that social media side now, especially with Gundy gone, that they've got to address it. And, and they're trying to figure out ways of what they want to do from an organizational social media standpoint. Well, yeah, losing Gundy was definitely – you know, not ideal, but at the same time, you have to keep up with the Joneses too. I mean, when you look at the staffs that places like Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan have, the, the just the sheer amount of people that are that have defined roles, and that's something that Mike Riley talked about. Is you know, recruiting gets lumped into just one thing, but really, there's multiple aspects that that go into recruiting. Part of it is the evaluation part, and then the other part, or one of the other parts, is the actual recruit. Recruiting, the, the selling of the university and the football program and the coaches and the tradition and everything else that kind of goes into it. He's, you know, the, the evaluation part is is offering a kid a scholarship, and then the actual recruiting is 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 what has to take place after that. He made a little joke is that saying that you know you can't just draft these these players. You have to actually recruit them and get them to sign with your school. So. Um, you know, in, in at these other programs, there's every, there's all sorts of people that are involved that have defined roles instead of just p- being part of a recruiting staff. You have people who are the personnel side that are evaluating. You have people that are on the social media who are who are actually doing a lot of the recruiting and a lot of the communication. You have people who are just graphic designers who are coming up with you know new and cool edits and you know the instead of sending out mailers, they're sending out you know the actual graphic design you know 
via email or, or direct message over Twitter or whatever. And uh, you just have all these different people. Uh, and I think Nebraska is wanting to step it up and become more defined and have more uh, roles that are defined in, in these different aspects. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we discuss some recruiting topics here, Nate. And uh, junior days begin for Nebraska, but um, this is definitely going to be kind of a small appetizer of what they really want <laughs> the spring recruiting to be. Nebraska will have a junior day Saturday, but I mean, this is like the free chips and salsa one. I mean, this is not even going to be really a major junior day um, on the scale of what they want for the recruiting here in the spring and summer. Yeah, I mean, this this junior day kind of falls in line with what we've seen you know, over the past year or two as far as it being smaller and being more of a local type of flavor to it. Um, you know, I'm guessing there's probably going to be about 15 kids or so uh, from in-state prospects that are that show up uh, this Saturday to to watch practice to go through the junior day and and uh, you know some people might want it to be more uh, you know and, and but at the same time you want to keep it a manageable number so that these kids are actually getting some of the attention that they deserve and um, you know not all these kids are, are scholarship guys some of these guys are, are walk on types players that that um, it's nice to kind of lay that foundation right now uh, there are going to be though some interesting players that don't have offers that are going to be on campus. Um, you know, Bryson Williams, for example, at a Lincoln Southeast, uh, who just recently picked up an offer from Kansas State. You know, the D tackle there it looked great at Nebraska's camp last summer. It's going to be interesting to see what the Huskers do there. And he'll be at Junior Day. And is planning on being there at Junior Day. Uh, you've got a couple of underclassmen from Burke, uh, Nick Heinrich and uh, Chris Hickman. You know, two 2019 players that I think are offer-worthy type of guys. You know, do do these guys pick up an offer uh, this weekend when they're on campus, or or are they more of uh, going to be maybe have to wait until camp season to get an offer? I don't know. So, uh, but uh, and then you've got a couple commits with Ma- uh, Mastery Maypew and and of course Cameron Jurgens that are going to be there. And uh, I mean, it should be it should be a good event. Uh, it's just not it's not going to carry you know a, a ton of uh, headlines to it, I guess, when in terms of you know, getting the big time players from across the country on on campus, I think that's going to be more for the spring game. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we discuss uh, what lies ahead here for Nebraska football and, and recruiting with spring practice and really the start of spring visits beginning for Nebraska as uh, they begin. They they've gone through some transition as we discussed with Ryan Gunderson leaving now, Nate. Um, uh, you had an interesting take in your three and out this week that the offers for Nebraska are down this year, uh, but the quality of the offer compared to, say, last year, much higher quality of guys they've been offering. Yeah, there's there's no question about it. I mean, that is the, the trend that is um, appearing right now is that they're being very selective in, in the, the types of players that they offer. And, and I think you have to be with, with uh, the size of this year's class being kind of on the smaller end of things. Uh, you have to shoot high. You have to aim high and, and try to get these guys. And, and I feel like, uh, 
Uh, I think as of Tuesday or Wednesday, they had roughly 142 offers out. And of those 142 offers, there were 101 of them were to four-star or higher players. And I think 91 of those offers uh, landed in the Rivals 250. So, uh, And since that time, there's been a couple other four-star players, uh, you know, top 100, top 250 type of guys that have landed offers. So it's even higher now. But uh, there's no question that they, they are being very selective and, and they're um – they're not afraid to to go after some of the the top guys in the in the country, and that's not to say that they're that they're not offering you know three star players that they feel like are, are going to end up developing. And they're not using our ratings, so to no. speak. I mean, they're yeah. <laughs> I mean they're, they're, they're doing their own evaluation exactly. system. It's not like they're pulling up the top one hundred and saying, okay, offer the whole one hundred. Yeah, they're not going down the list of the rivals, you know, top two fifty and just pulling the trigger, offering all these guys, but. Uh, but I don't think it's any coincidence, though, that that a lot of these top guys are landing offers, and that's because they're they're being very selective, and um, and they're not afraid to be recruiting against Ohio State with a kid, you know, from Ohio, or or be going up against uh, you know Alabama or USC or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, they're they're pretty confident there. And the other thing is, is I I do feel like though that they're they're adding players to the board and keeping guys. Uh, warm because I've talked with some players that you'd think would probably have offers from Nebraska at this point in time but don't but they have told me that they've been in touch with Nebraska and so uh, I feel like they're doing a good job of not only offering the uh, upper echelon type guys but also keeping some some of those you know if you want to call them B-list guys or or that next step, um, those fringe offer guys, you know, kind of warm right now, just in case they miss out on on some of these these uh, upper level guys. But um, if they can get a, a large, or a decent contingent of these uh, upper echelon offer kids on campus for the spring game, it could be one of the one of the the better spring game turnouts in, in quite some time. Now, uh, now Nate, um, one offer before we wrap it up here, I wanted to ask you this: Nebraska offered a kicker. Uh, first of all, what coach kind of led the charge on the kicker offer? Because we don't really know how that's being handled. And, and what's your take on uh, Nebraska going in with the kicker offer? Yeah, Evan McPherson uh, out of Fort Payne, Alabama, landed an offer from Nebraska yesterday. And uh, and it was Nick Smith, uh, the graduate assistant, who's done a lot of work with the special teams. He's the one who kind of led the charge with this offer, and uh, and it's an interesting one because obviously we know that Drew Brown is is a senior, going to be leaving the program after this year. So um, you know, and they don't really have a, a surefire place kicker on the roster. But um, Evan McPherson is not only ranked as the number one kicker in the country, but also the number nine overall punter in the nation. And a little he, versatility. He's got some versatility versatility there and he does kickoffs so uh this is kind of an important guy he, he could come in and and uh you know give you what you need as a place kicker and as a kickoff guy but maybe also push uh, at, at that punter role all right well that wraps it up here for another edition of the husker online show uh there's gonna be plenty to watch and talk about here as we'll have complete coverage on saturday including practice observations a practice notebook nuggets video you name it and then full coverage of the junior day event as well so lots to log on uh, and check out here over the weekend on huskeronline.com thanks again for joining us this week on husker online your authority on nebraska athletics 